You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Uh, My name is also Josh, and I'm one of the elders here. And by the way, in the first service, to be consistent, we had a a Joshua read scripture, so you get a lot of Josh up here today. Um, Welcome, Joshua's. Um, It is good to be here this morning. As I said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And to those that are a part of this church family, we are so glad to be able to gather with you another week and encourage your hearts uh, with the word. And, and for those of you that are visiting, we want to say we're, you're so welcome and we're glad that you're here. And we believe through these simple means of singing and reading scripture and proclaiming scripture and taking communion that the Holy Spirit works to nourish and feed us as a church. So we gather expectant of God to work today. So welcome uh, to our Sunday gathering. Uh, last week, we started a new series in Romans chapter 8. And Pastor Jordan kicked us off with a powerful reminder that although we were, because of our sin, condemned, that those who are now in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation for us. We are forgiven and welcomed into God's family. If you missed that sermon, go back and give it a listen. It was a wonderful introduction and a powerful truth about the drastic change of status we have as believers because of the work of Christ. And You'll notice as we get into Romans that this series uh, in chapter 8, that every, every few verses is just power-packed with gospel truth and grace. And so we're going to continue to work our way through this morning. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11, as we just read. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It'll also be up on the screen. But this morning, Paul's primary talking point is going to be life in the Spirit versus life in the flesh. And I would say that it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that the primary sign of being a Christian is not the creed we confess, although creeds are important, or the church we attend, although church is important. But really, the primary sign of Christian is what Paul says here uh, in what he said in verse 9, that uh, if you, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, it, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In fact, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to unpack a little bit with Paul what that means. And there are so many good New Testament texts that talk about life in the Spirit. I wish we could go there. We're not going to have time to say everything, but we are going to look at this contrast between life in the Spirit and life in the flesh this morning as Paul unpacks it in our text. And here's my hope and prayer for us this morning, is that the Spirit-inspired Scripture would help us to catch a vision and a hunger for true spirituality in Christ, that we would become hungry for the true spiritual life found in union with Christ. So let me pray, and then we'll jump back into our text Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come in here as people needing your mercy. We don't enter here boasting of our goodness or works, but we enter as people who know that we failed this week, 
We know that stress has got the best of us. We know that worry has got a foothold. We know that there's so much chaos in us, and we come to you as people in need of peace and joy and forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, this morning, as we open this very powerful word which you inspired through the Apostle Paul, would you declare peace to our hearts? Would you take our attention off of the surface things of life and put our attention on Christ in a way that stirs our affection and our imagination for him? Would you help meet us where we are this morning by the simplicity of your word? It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, let's take a look back at verses 5 through 9. Back in verse 5, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of, is life because of righteousness. Now, in our text, Paul describes two ways of existing in the world. There is life with the Spirit of God, and there is life lived according to the flesh. You see, the work of Jesus through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension is not only something accomplished for us, although it is that, and it's a beautiful truth of that. It's not just redemption accomplished, but it's redemption applied to us. And as Jesus ascends, the gospel tells us that he poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost into the church, filling us with the presence of Christ as his people. It is an essential aspect and marker of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the story of every believer that we were spiritually dead, that we were lifeless, that we were living only in the flesh, and that the Holy Spirit intersected into our life. The gospel was proclaimed. Our hearts and eyes were opened, and we were made new. This is the story of anyone who's in the church that's become a believer. But apart from the Spirit giving life, we have this way of living in the flesh. This is kind of the way that we're, by default, born into the world spiritually dead. And so there's two ways of existing. There's a mindset on the spirit and a mindset on the flesh. Now let's unpack for a moment what it means to have a mindset on the flesh or to live according to the flesh. Well, the word flesh here in the Greek is sarkos or sarks. Uh, and it most literally means the material that covers the body, right? The, 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 the th- stuff that makes us not a bunch of skeletons sitting in here. That's kind of a creepy image. I apologize. But, but all that, that meat and flesh and skin, the surface of us, that's, that's kind of the idea of what the word means. And I, I think it's broader than that. I think it really, it refers to in Scripture, whether Paul's talking about the way of the world or the way of the flesh, kind of this idea of the material creation disconnected from its creator, kind of flesh alone, the world alone, apart from God and his gracious rule. One way I think we could think about fleshly living is to think about surface-level living, living just at the surface of life. 
at the surface level, human beings can be reduced to kind of just walking uh, chunks of meat, right? Molecules and cells and science can kind of tell us what's all going on at the surface, right? At the surface, we have a certain set of desires, a certain set of longings and things that you can just kind of live. You know, if you're hungry, you just grab a Snickers. That's kind of living at the surface. Um, even advertisers tell us to do that. But uh, we, we have these, all of these things, and we can exist merely at the surface of what we can see, what we can touch, taste, what is easy, what is quick, what is immediate. And this is the state we exist in apart from the, the spiritual life that God has purchased for us in Jesus. And it's not <clears throat> that flesh is bad. Bodies are not bad. In fact, in the biblical story, God created our bodies and he said that they were good. He created the world and said that it was good. What is bad is the body separated from the life-giving spirit of God. It's this chasm that sin has created. That is what's bad. That is the problem that when left to itself, we as human beings in our bodies, we just kind of think and act as we want to within this body of sin. When it's flesh alone, flesh is everything. This is where the problem begins. And Paul is telling us that there's a way of existing in the world where your whole life is just led by the flesh. Your whole life is consumed just living at the surface doing what immediately satisfies, following every unthinking impulse, reacting and relating to others apart from union with God, no regard for God. And even in your hearts, Paul tells us, carrying a hostility towards his good authority over your life. This is characteristic of life in the flesh. And all of us start here. And even if we're not there anymore by God's grace, we still have this bent to go back there. Um, so all of us can relate to this, this, this idea of living at the surface, living with hostility towards the God who made us. And here's the thing is I think um, no matter how much we're living at the surface, no matter how much we're trying this thing or that thing, or maybe it's this gadget or that hairstyle or this new relationship or that thing, right? We're trading one thing for another. Last week, Pastor Jordan talked about how we trade bad eating for good eating, and I, I need to do that, but in a good way. Um, but, but, but we can just kind of live at the surface trying to feel these deep inner longings for God with superficial created things. And this is what happens when we live by the flesh. And eventually, if we just stay at that level, just react and think and, and take what tastes good and, li and live without addressing the deep longing for something of substance and life and significance, what happens is it leads to despair. I think we're seeing some of this in our culture, a culture that has every material thing you could imagine, and we consume, 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 and yet people are more depressed, more sad, more empty than ever. If we just look to the realm of the flesh, and that's what we consume. Eventually, it leads to despair. I think that's why Paul says that the mindset on the flesh is death. It's giving us a little sneak peek preview of where that path leads. And now Paul uses a phrase often in Romans, uh, setting your mind. Um, and I want to unpack a little bit about what, what, what this means. This phrase means to carefully consider, to contemplate. It certainly involves thinking, but it's, it's more than thinking it's, it really it talks about our attention. Like, what are we paying attention to? Attention is, is more than just your thoughts, but it, it encompasses your affections, your emotions, and ultimately leads to action. 
what we pay attention to, what we give our most significant attention to, you better believe it shapes how we live. Think about this for a moment. This past week, what did your eyes look upon the most? What did your ears, what voices did your ears listen to? What, what media or, or news did you consume the most? What emotions did you, did you feel the most? Where, where did you put your attention this week? Sadly, Apple has a little thing that could probably tell us uh, the screen time. I don't, I don't want to go there. But our attention uh, is, this is to set our mind on something. How did it shape your acting and existing in the world? And I think that this giving our attention to merely fleshly things um, has a way of shrinking our world uh, where whatever it is that has our attention becomes everything. It's kind of like we ignore all the spiritual reality, all the complexity, all the beauty, and it just kind of comes down to this one little thing. Let me give you an example from my life. This is kind of an embarrassing one, but it's an example. Um, <clears throat> a, a, Last week, my daughter, Emily, she plays basketball at Stony Point. She's here. I knew you'd be happy if I shared a story about you. Um, it's, it's embarrassing to me, not you, so I didn't have to ask permission. Um, but she was at her game, and if you know me, I'm a very competitive person. Uh, when it comes to the realm of basketball, I can become a very intense person. Some of you are like, oh, I didn't think about well, Get me in a basketball court or around that. I become very intense. And so at her game, I'd come off kind of a busy day at work. Uh, hadn't really spent a lot of time in the Word, wasn't really thinking on setting my mind on spiritual things, um, but I was ready to come to this game and, and consume some basketball. And, uh, and you get my kids involved in the sport, and now it's a whole new level. And what, what happened and proceeded in this game was the, the officials were terrible, and so I had to justly tell them, uh, no. What happened in this game was that I became so attentive to just seeing a basketball game that when my, I raised gently, well, maybe not gently, when I raised my voice to alert the officials to how terrible they were, um, it, it, was, it was kind of almost embarrassing. Not to me, because I'm, I'm all in, right? In this moment, this is everything. This is life or death, uh, ninth grade high school basketball, girls basketball, right? And I'm letting these guys know how blind they are, how, how they can't see, how terrible they are, right? Um, and, and, and my wife, thankfully, is very good about, she's here too, you know. She's sitting next to me. She's got the little arm pull. And, and in the moment, I don't like it. We'll talk about hostility in a moment of the flesh. But in a moment, the things we set our attention on can become everything. Now, if you were to ask me um, outside of that context, hey, you know, is that the kind of guy the kind of existence you want to have in the world where, you know, where the, these young ladies become players and, and the referees are kind of dehumanized. Like, is that the kind of way you interact in the world? And I would say, no, it's not. What happened? Well, what happened was in a moment I got my mind set on the flesh, the things of the world. It became everything to me. And, and this is kind of a, of a silly example um, but, but what does setting our mind on the flesh produce? It produces anger. It produces frustration, strife, anxiety, despair. Um, I love my wife. She usually after the game or maybe at halftime when she can see the, the moment is right, she'll remind me, hey, it's just a game. And what she's saying, she's trying to give me perspective. Hey, you've gotten locked into something that you're treating as ultimate, and it's really not. Like there's so much more going on here. There's so much more going on than, than you getting, making sure a charge call was called correctly, right? 
Right? There are human beings made in the image of God who you are actually called to be a witness and good news bearer to. And you're called to love them, right? Um, maybe there's a time and a place to address officiating. I've got to figure that out. But, but at least I should do it in love, right? And, and many of us, that's a silly example. Sadly, it's probably true for some of you other sports fans. You might need to check your hearts with me. But there's many other ways this can play out in life. It can play out in relationships where I meet someone and my full attention is given to them and kind of they take on this weight of I'm obsessed with them and I'm thinking about them and all, all, all this weight of almost becoming my God. And, and that doesn't work. One, because they're just another creature like you. They can't handle the weight of being your God. And you're going to crush them with that. And ultimately, they're, not, they're going to fail at that, and it's going to lead you to despair and disappointment. Uh, we can do this with our work, where our, our job becomes the most pressing, important, critical task on planet Earth. Right? How many of you are kind of type A like me? You get into what, again, my wife calls work mode. This is what she calls, uh, identifies my state of being here, where, where your task that you've got in front of you is more important than anything else in the world. And if any man, woman, or child gets in your path in the way of that task, they are probably going to get you know, uh, griped at or you know, whatever. They're going to get what's coming to them. And work can become everything. So we overwork and we give all this attention to work and we can't be present at home. All these things because work has become the focus of our attention. We've set our mind on something of the flesh. We've looked to something created to give us what only God's Spirit can give us. It can happen with our kids where all our tension is around their schedule and their games. I mean, we see this in the suburbs and, and their success and their education. All these things that are okay things. But these are not ultimate things. These are not, these are not eternally significant things in the way that we often place them to be. You know, what school do we go to? How, what mode is school? All, all these things. And, and here's the thing. We can do it with politics. We can do it with video games. In all of this, we miss the reality of God's presence and his kingdom and what he's done. And it's not just that flesh is... Uh, it's not just that we're separated from God and we, and we miss out on him. In fact, if we were to dig deeper, we're actually hostile to him. You felt this. I know you have. Hopefully I'm not the only sinner in here. That's, you, you're a bunch of liars if that's the case. Um, pastor called me a liar. That wasn't nice. Um, here's the thing. In that moment, at that game where I am locked in, you better believe my flesh does not want to hear any sort of correction. At that moment when your attention has been given over to whatever that created thing is, when your flesh has been leading the way, you better believe that when a brother or sister comes with maybe even gentle and good correction or encouragement and you snap, that's an indicator that the flesh has taken over, that you're being led by the flesh. A fruit or a thorn of the flesh is, is coming out. And we all know what that feels like. There's, there's a hostility to God there. There's a hostility. Don't you tell me what to, you know. And I go, whoa, okay. Like the, the, the real ugliness is coming out. Life in the flesh is hostile to God. I think it's why there's so many people who have just gone headlong into secularism and material consumption, and yet they're so angry at the God who they don't think exists. And I think there might be some of you who've lived your entire life just at the surface. Maybe you even have friends that are spiritual. They're walking with Jesus, and you hear this or that, and it just kind of, eh, you know? 
you're hostile to it. But, but I think that if you really were to be honest about the results of the flesh-driven life, you would feel that despair and that emptiness. You, would, you could maybe honestly say, hey, there is actually a longing in me for something of significance. And here's the beautiful thing, is that while God could have left us in our hostility and our condemnation, he did not. In fact, there's a God who does exist in a world we cannot see. And he could have condemned us all, but he broke into the world with a powerful message, a message that was delivered in flesh and blood by his son, Jesus. Jesus who taught us the true ways of God. Jesus who previewed the kingdom of God that is coming. Jesus who died to pay the penalty for our sin, who was raised on the third day, who ascended into heaven, and from his throne does not selfishly hoard the riches he earned, but he pours out lavishly his spirit on undeserving Jews and Gentiles like you and like me. And he takes people who are hostile to him, who are angry, who are ugly on the inside, and he makes them beautiful by his love. And he tracks you down. And maybe even some of you for this morning are taking your first spiritual breath. And for the first time, you don't feel hostility towards God, but you're starting to feel sorrow and contrition and sadness about the way you felt about him. And you're feeling a need for him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is the Spirit starts to give new life. And you hear this good news that God offers forgiveness in Jesus. You say, well, that's, that's what I need. That's for me. I got to have that. For some of you, that's your story this morning. For all of us, at some point, we had that moment or that season that led there. Others of you have been in Christ and with Christ a while, and you've tasted the spiritual life. But sucks to find out that the old life is still present in there, and it peaks back up, right? Me and basketball, I didn't like that. But the beauty of it is that the Spirit dwelling within us leads us to repentance. The Spirit is always calling us to life. And so with me, after that game and after a few days and talking through and reading the scriptures, it leads me to repentance. I don't want to be that old person. I want to live in a new way. Lord, give me your spirit. Give me your power. Maybe some of you in here are believers who've been walking and setting your minds on a thing of the flesh. Maybe through COVID, you develop some habits and patterns and ways of, of interacting that are, you just feel stuck in. The good news is that the Spirit is not done. The Spirit is at work, and He's calling the church to life. He's calling us to take our attention off of the flesh and put our attention on the risen Christ, on the reality that you're not just people sitting here in pews, but you're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus, that you're with Him. Where He is, you are. You see, sometimes... Um, I think in this life, it can, it can feel and look a lot like uh, that's not true, right? Like, man, I don't know how much God loves me. I don't know how much I feel like I'm a, a saint. I don't know how much it looks like the church is, you know, doing well. In fact, if you looked at the church just externally in our country, it's like, ah, oh, I don't, man, it looks pretty bad, actually. Maybe you look at your life and you, and you, you got health issues. You look at this body and you're like, man, it's just failing. It doesn't, doesn't feel like there's life. But this is the beautiful paradox of the spirit. Paul even addresses this. Though the body is decaying and dying, though the outer world is wasting away, the spirit is continually 
breathing life, turning our attention to God, making spiritually dead people awake and spiritually slumbering people, sobering them up. Look again at verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Listen to this verse. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Did you hear that promise? Did you hear that promise? Church family, even though sometimes it just feels like we're, what are we doing? We're just coming here, sitting in chairs, singing songs, drink, drinking juice and crackers, listening to a guy teach out of an ancient book. What's going on? <laughs> Looks like the world is, is going to hell in a handbasket, getting sick, tragedy, violence, the church going crazy. Under, uh, on the surface, it feels like in many ways death has the last word. We think about our own life, think, man, I'm just, you know, another, another 10 years gone. Maybe, maybe another family member lost. Death feels like it really is the most real thing to us. But what we see in verse 11 is that there is a reality even greater than death. That even when your family's gathered around and your loved ones are gathered around and your body is lifeless in place and it looks like, it looks like a loss, even in that place, the Spirit will not leave you, but will keep doing the work of calling you to life. Do you believe that? Now listen, what I'm not saying is we need to become Gnostics and just all spiritual things and material things, let's just throw them away. No. But until I see that as ultimate reality, I see the fullness of what Jesus has done and what he's continuing to do. I see the present reality of him reigning as the risen Christ, pouring out the life-giving spirit in the church. Until I see that in the fullness of the picture, I can't put the other stuff of life in its proper place. I can't go to a basketball game and keep my head because that's everything. But the reality is that's not everything. There's a bigger picture of what's going on. But now, in light of setting my attention on the Spirit, which we're going to talk about a few ways to do that in a minute, I can enjoy a basketball game. I can enjoy God's good creation and see it for what it is. It's a beautiful game. Thank you, James Naismith, for being inspired by God to create it. Okay, maybe it's not inspired, but it's at least a, a divine gift, in my opinion. Right? We, we can have a relationship with someone and enjoy a, a beautiful marriage or, or friendship, but not look to that person to be God because we see a fuller picture. We, we, can, we can raise our children and make wise and good godly decisions, but we can take them the pressure of them being our little gods off of them because one, that would crush them and ultimately it'll disappoint us. And we can see that there's more. There's more going on. It's not it. We can live fully awakened to the grace of God as the Spirit dwells within us. And how do we cultivate this way? There's so much to say here, so I'm just going to give you a summary to close. But ultimately, setting our minds on the Spirit means giving the Spirit our attention. And so we could ask the question, how do we set our attention on something? Well, God's, I think, given us some helpful means for this. 
I'll just give you a couple. One is putting away our phones and distractions so that we can actually be present to pray, to pick up our Bibles, to pay attention, to listen to God's voice in prayer. One of the things we're doing in this series is we're trying to memorize Scripture, right? Because we want God's Word to dig down deep into us so that it helps us to remember and recall and live in the reality of his presence and his grace. What if we put away our phone a little more and picked up our Bible? I'm sorry, yeah, put our phone away more. Picked up our Bible more too. I, I, that contrast didn't work out how I thought. You get what I'm saying. Open our Bibles. What if we walked every moment as if God was dwelling in us? I know that me at that game, if I'm remembering that Jesus is sitting next to me, actually dwelling in me mystically somehow, um, I might act a little differently. And sometimes what I need to do to cultivate that awareness is I need to pray, especially when I go into an environment like that where I know I'm going to be prone to be triggered and act like this. Maybe I need to stop a little bit before I go in and pray, God, help me to just enjoy this for the gift that it is and to worship you as I'm a basketball fan for my daughter, you know, something like that. As simple as that, recognizing the spirit of Christ in us in the everyday. I think that it looks like prioritizing gathered worship as the anchor and center of setting our attention uh, to God every week. I, I think that God is no fool and that he gave the church uh, a sacred day to come together. It's no accident that how many, or it's, no, uh, it's not incident. Coincidental, how many stories I've heard of people who, man, I was, I was drifting and I was distracted and I was this and that, and I came to worship and it wasn't, it wasn't anything special you did, preacher, but through all of it, God turned my heart around. God has given us sacred worship so that we can have an anchor every week to turn our attention from the flesh and turn our attention to the things of God, to see the Spirit with us. And finally, I just encourage you to prioritize gospel relationships with people who, like my wife often does for me, in a very kind, loving way, can call us back to life in the Spirit. Not people who condemn us and judge us and, and hate on us or whatever it is, but people who can say, hey, I know that's not who you want to be. <laughs> you look really stupid, by the way. Um, <laughs> let me show you the tape, because remember, we're all, everything we do is recorded. Oh, gosh, I didn't think of it. Maybe, hope that tape's not out there. Um, Turn us back to Christ. God uses you in your brother's and sister's life to be an agent of grace so that when we have relationships with people who are on that same journey trying to walk by the Spirit, people who can breathe life into us, and you can say, oh yeah, I need to go back to the well of forgiveness and I need the Spirit to help me live and walk in a new way. And just to encourage you, we're going to be doing that the rest of our time here on planet Earth. And hopefully, we get a little quicker and a little quicker to turning back to being led by the Spirit. One day, we're not going to have to deal with that struggle, but until we, uh, this journey ends, we will. And we need brothers and sisters who will encourage us along the way. So we could sum it up like this. A, a Spirit-led life is a life attending to the presence of God a life full of transcendent joy and peace, a life yielding and welcoming of his rule. The spirit-filled life, church family, a life led by the spirit is what your father God wants for you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that 
you've given us this divine revelation to pierce into our brokenness, to pierce into our fleshliness and remind us that there is something more, that we're not the ultimate authority, that we're not the ultimate end, that the created things are not fully where it's at. In fact, apart from you, they have nothing, no value. So Lord, we pray that you would lead us to be spiritually awake. Lord, in wherever you put us, that we would live acknowledging your presence with our attention on you. The ways we put our attention on the world, on the flesh, would you gently and kindly call us away from that to set our attention on you. And as we do, Lord Jesus, may the Spirit declare all that you have done and all that you are in this present moment so that we might see things in their proper perspective, that we might worship you in the ordinary rather than worshiping ordinary things. It is in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.